Have you been blessed already with what the Lord's done this morning? Amen. Amen. So uh, I want to just give you kind of a roadmap in the next few weeks, especially if if you're new with us or you're back in church. And I want to tell you a little bit about where we're going the next couple weeks here on Sunday mornings. And see, we're going to start a series for the next two weeks. We're calling it Re-Church. Um, if you're around the church at all, I guess you don't even have to be around the church. You know that sometimes the, the church world gets kind of a bad name. And we want to talk a little bit about that the next two weeks. And we want to really, the focus is re-church, kind of rethink church. What is the purpose of church? Why do we gather? What's this whole thing about anyway? We want to do that the next two weeks. So if you're kind of like, you're, you're new with church, you're getting back, these are great two Sundays to join us the next two weeks to just kind of see biblically what is the church all about. And so uh, we'll do that for the next two weeks, and then we're going to kind of celebrate all of the, the missions efforts we did this summer, and, and uh, we actually have some of the visitors from the mission uh, places we went that will be here with us on October 4th. So that's kind of the roadmap of the next three weeks, and uh, we hope you'll come back and, and join us and, and be here. If you happen to have a Bible, or if uh, you grabbed one of the Pew Bibles on the way in, uh, we're going to be in a book called Acts. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament. And this is actually considered the only history book of the New Testament. So it's straight history. It tells this history story in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 17 of the book uh, of Acts. Have you ever been tried, uh, or has ever anyone ever tried to convince you of something, right? Anything. Tried to convince you of something. I mean, it could be like really, really big, grand things, you, like what you should do with your life, all the way down to you maybe what movie you should see that weekend. But we're kind of a, a world of convincers. It's something we do or try to do. I remember going to my first timeshare presentation. You ever been to one of these type of things? Those guys are like convincers to the max. I mean, they, I mean, they work that 90-minute presentation like nobody's business, and their goal is that you would walk away purchasing something. Now, they're going to start with something incredibly grand, way up here, you know, that, 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 that you shouldn't, you know, should never touch in a million years. But they're going to work you all the way down to anything that eventually you can convince yourself, yeah, I might be able to do that. And before you know, you walk out and, you, and you've bought something from the timeshare presentation. I remember going to these, and when I was naive first, um, kind of got sucked into the whole ploy of it all. Now, as it went later on in our timeshare career, we learned that... Uh, they give away nice prizes to come and see a timeshare presentation. I mean, they'll drop a, a plane ticket on you and at a vacation place and free golf and those kind of stuff. And so we got very good. And later on, it was very easy to go sit for 90 minutes and then to just say, no, thank you. Where's my golf? And that was kind of it. And if you're really convincing with your first or two no's, the salesman knows. I mean, it's over. It's it. It's over. Let me just go get the uh, give a certificate. One time we went to one, and I didn't know there was actually like a rule in place for them. They have to go ninety minutes. We made it perfectly clear in about five minutes, seven minutes, that this was not happening for him today. No way, shape, or form. Um, but we had to sit there and kind of just shoot the breeze for 90 minutes. Um, but we got that free gift. I don't know what it was. I think that was a couple nights in Sedona at the time, which was well worth 90 minutes. This morning, uh, you could take it this way, I guess. My hope this morning is that you would let the Word of God say, hey, I would at least, at very least, like to convince you to check me out. 
That's what I would hope you would hear from the Word of God this morning. So if a timeshare person starts way, way up here and then gets way, way down here at the end just to get you something, I just want to be honest with you. I'm probably starting way down here. All I want this morning is for you to hear the Word of God, and the Word of God is saying, hey, would you at least check me out? Would you at least check it out? And from there, uh, draw your own conclusions, draw your decisions, and see if there may not be something in it. Okay, so what are we talking about? It's this little story in the book of Acts. Paul, who is uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you don't know anything about Paul, you need to know he was once a murderer of Christians, and then he became a Christian. How's that for transforming your life, right? So that's the story. Paul is out and he is going from town to town and his job is to go into these towns and to set up and to share about Jesus and then set up like what you're sitting in, a church. That was his job. And so he would go from town to town and God called him to do that. This is a particular time when he's, he's traveling with Timothy and a guy named Silas uh, as well. And so they're out going from these towns. In this particular occasion, in Acts chapter 17, they go to a town called Thessalonica. Now, if you don't know anything about Thessalonica, uh, which is quite okay, um, Thessalonica was actually a big deal of a town. It was a big, big deal. It was what they call a secondary capital for quite a bit of time. And then in about 80, 60, or 46, it was elevated to being one of the capitals of the Roman Empire, not the capital, but one of the capitals, one of the hub cities of the entire Roman Empire. It became a big, big deal, this town of Thessalonica. Now, if you're Paul, and what your job is, is to go and tell people about Jesus, and you want to convince enough people that you can open up a church like this here, you can leave and move on, and and you have some people in place that can run that church, it would make sense that you would say, well, let's go over to Thessalonica. I mean, that's a big city. They got a lot going on there. I want to I be in that city because if we could reach a few people for Jesus, and those people would just be like, hey, we're going to reach some people for Jesus. There's a lot of population there to reach for Jesus, right? So Paul goes to Thessalonica. It's not the only town like this he goes to, uh, but, but he goes strategically is a pretty good uh, place to be. Um, verse 2 of chapter 17 says, as his custom was, this is what he normally did, is what the Bible is saying. Is, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he went in, and for a significant period of time, three weeks here, he, as the Bible says, he convinced them. He sometimes, some of it says argued with them. He spoke with them. He reasoned with them about Jesus. Now, who is them is the question you should ask yourself first. You see, these were the Jewish people. If you ever read your Bible and you read the Old Testament, you'll know that God revealed himself to the Hebrews. That was his chosen people. Jews of the New Testament, same, same people, same, a different name. And so when Jesus came, Jesus came as the Messiah for the Jewish people, revealed. He was a Jewish person, revealed to the Jews, this Messiah. We find in the book of Acts that this Messiah who was revealed and came to the Jewish people, it was now thrown wide open for Jews and Greeks alike, meaning anyone, a Jew or a non-Jew, which is good news for us here today. And so Paul is out preaching and teaching and, and talking 
to them, and them in this case, he's talking to the Jewish people. Now, you've got to know that the Jewish people had to be convinced that indeed Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised all these thousands of years, that he had finally come, he had finally showed up, and he was finally the one that was sent from God. Because some believed, as we know from the Gospels, and others didn't believe at all. And so Paul is in town, and he is trying to tell people, hey, you know the Messiah uh, from the Old Testament that we've talked about? Well, do you know the prophecies about the Messiah coming? You know the prophecy about the Messiah living? Those prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So for three weeks he did this. He talked to them, he talked to them. And as you might expect, some followed and some didn't. Let's follow along in, in the, in the verse, chapter, uh, verse 4 now. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a very large number of God-fearing Greeks, so some non-Jews as well. Not a, a few prominent women, meaning not just a few, it means a, a decent number of prominent women uh, as well. That was good news too. The, the message was for everyone, the Jews, the non-Jews, the men, the women. The message of Jesus was for everyone. Well, there became a problem that arose, and and this seemed to be the case most places Paul went. He would go in, and he would talk, and he would reason, and he would talk from the scriptures for a while. And some people would say, hey, I am all for that. I see the, the truth of that. I see where the Messiah is, Jesus. And they would believe. But then there would always be a group that was disgruntled, that didn't believe. And they seemed to follow Paul around. Paul seemed to stay just a step ahead of them, and people would come to know Jesus, and then these guys would show up, and they'd start causing havoc and problems. And, and sure enough, in verse 5 of chapter 17, read this, but, a, but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, in order to bring them out of the crowd. So this is where they were staying, or certainly where, where this mob thought they were staying at the time, in Jason's house, so it makes sense they would go there. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. Now let's hold right there for a second. You see, there wasn't any problem. It wasn't against the law to talk about Jesus. There was no problem in talking about Jesus as the Messiah as far as the Roman Empire went. Now, these Jewish people that didn't believe in Jesus, they would have hated hearing that the Messiah came if they didn't believe it. But there was one phrase, one phrase that these Christians kept using over and over. And this is where the Jews capitalized. They kept calling Jesus their king. They kept using that name, and they kept using kingdom talk to describe Jesus. And so that was their end to, to cause ruckus. You can't say he's king. Caesar is our king. And so you hear you have the Jewish people who are devout to God actually arguing on behalf of Caesar to try to get these Christians arrested and thrown in jail or done away with. So it worked several times that this would happen, and we find it in this situation, verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They, then they made Jason and the others post bond and let him go. Now it was good. They didn't take it out on Jason, uh, but they were in an uproar. They had a big problem with this. Well, their difficulty was they couldn't find Paul here and Silas. Verse 10, 
we pick up. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. To Berea. Now, this is an interesting part of the story because it doesn't seem like Berea was, was on the plan here. But they were having a problem in Thessalonica. They needed to get them out of there quick, maybe to save their life. And they send them on to this town of Berea. Now, if you know anything about Berea, which, which you, you may not, Berea is a smaller town a little bit further away. Not nearly as prominent as Thessalonica, who, which is one of the, the capital-type towns, but close enough that there's some interaction and some influence with what goes on in Thessalonica. And so if you could picture like a large city, and you live an hour out of the, the large city, and maybe you commute into town like my father did when I was a teenager, and you live in this town, that's kind of your Berea, and you commute in, but you're still close enough that your world somewhat rotates around the big city. But Paul's going to find that these Bereans are very different than, than what he just experienced in Thessalonica. Here's what we find. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So whether it was on his agenda or not was irrelevant. As soon as he got there, he did what he normally did. He went and started to share about Jesus Christ. Then we find this. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, if you're like, wow, that's kind of intriguing. I'm going to go home and I'm going to read every passage about the Bereans in the Bible. Guess what? You're going to be done really fast uh, because I I just read you most of it. Um, There's just a couple other little verses where a character where it says this character's name of Berea show up in the rest of the Bible. This is the passage about the Bereans. And we find that in this passage, what we know is that they are called more of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Now, this is actually used as a kind of a, a hierarchy uh, type of word. It would have been a word that would have been used to describe like royalty to say the most noble or more noble here. Now, with Berea, if you know about Berea, Berea is a town that really formed because of the, uh, the diaspora which was when the Jews were scattered everywhere because of persecution, they started to show up in different areas, in different towns. And what would happen is as the Jewish population grew in those towns, they would move out of those towns and start to populate smaller towns. Berea is one of those type of towns here. And so you have a very strong Jewish audience that's here in Berea, which also tells us here, probably not a lot of royalty here. So it wasn't that Paul was talking to this group of Jewish people in in the synagogue saying, all of you of royal descent. That's not what exactly. So literally, the word he's using here is not to describe people who were literally of royalty lines, but he describes them this way. You are of more noble character. You're of more kind of royal approach. In fact, the actual word, the Greek word, actually translated means you are of of more excellence. You are of more excellence because of the way you responded here. Well, how did they respond to this? Let's look at it again. They're, They're of more excellence. Why? Because they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They're of more noble character 
because they received it and they examined the Scriptures. Now, if you know anything about Paul's journey, you will know just about everywhere he went. He was just in Thessalonica. We have this great story earlier in the book of Acts when he goes to Lystra in Derby. He gets beat, all, I mean, to a bloody pulp. And the Bible actually says he shook off the dust and went right back into the town to keep preaching the same town. Um, craziness. But if you'll know anything, you will know that there was always a group that received what he had to say with pretty good eagerness. Athens might be the only exception if you, if you know the book of Acts. There was a group that received it with eagerness everywhere. So when I read this and I think about the more excellent approach, surely it was awesome that they received it with eagerness. That was great. But my eyes fall to the second part when it says that they examined the scriptures to see if what he said was true or not. Do you ever do that? We live in a Facebook world, right? And we live in a headline world. Meaning if you can take your Facebook and you can throw a little headline on the Facebook, often that can actually show up in conversation later where somebody says, hey, did you know that there was a bunch of Martians that took over the downtown Greensboro building yesterday? And you're like, whoa, really? That is incredible. Um, And we get sucked into these things because we're a headline world and a Facebook world and we don't always check our facts and do our background research and those type of things. In fact, sometimes when these these stories are posted on there, like I'll look right down to like the, the little dot com that it comes from and I'm like, I have no idea what that would mean at all, that dot com. And sometimes if you actually click on it and go to it, um, it's, it's baffling to think that, that much of anything on the website is, is actually literally true and not just a generated thing to have fun on Facebook. But we blur those lines so incredibly in our world. Here's a verse in the Bible that's actually telling us, to some degree, this probably was going on even at the time of Acts, at the growth of the church. Paul wasn't the only one that was traveling around and teaching and preaching about different things. We actually find that in the, in earlier in the book of Acts. There was others that were around spreading their form of a gospel as well. And here was the Bereans who were more excellent. Why? Because they opened up God's word and said, well, that's a very interesting thing, Paul, that you had to say here. Um, let's just take a look here and, and make sure that this is lining up with, with what you're saying here. And they would study the scriptures. Now, they didn't have the New Testament like we had. So it's not like when they said, hey, I want to hear about this Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read this. They looked through the Old Testament. And so they had to connect the dots and the prophecies that Paul was declaring here about Jesus to see if what he said was true. Have you ever gone and just dug for some morsel of truth? You've done your own research, and you found it somewhere. And you're like, I found it. I, I, I believe it's true now, this fact, this whatever you saw in the news, because I, you went and you dug, and you actually found it. Or maybe it's more simple. It's this way. You have a little argument, like uh, my buddy Chris down here in the front row. We often have arguments about who's the better college basketball team, North Carolina or Kentucky. I, I know. It's a silly, silly argument um, since Kentucky is far superior. But as we, as we debate these things, every once in a while a little fact will come up. And like you can see it in each other's eyes. It's a, just a little bit of a, hmm, hmm. And that little look like that is just to say, I heard what you said, and I want to respect you. But I don't believe a word you're saying. 
And then you have to go and you have to search on, okay, what, what year did that happen? How many players did do that? How many points did he score? And you, and you find it, and oh, does it so, feel so good when you find the supporting help. And I can call, well, actually, Chris, actually. That's what feels good, right? But we live in a culture where that line is so blurred, we just don't do that that much. Or we, maybe we find ourselves doing it for things that are irrelevant, but here, these guys are of more noble excellence and more noble character because they studied the Scripture. Let me ask you a question this morning before I just highlight just a couple things and we'll be done. Have you ever examined the Scripture to see if the claims of Christians, the church, or the claims of God himself are actually true? Do they line up? I mean, have you ever heard a preacher say something that you're like, man, I am right there with you? but you don't really have any idea why you're with them because you've never examined it for yourself? Have you ever heard a Christian declare something or a pastor declare something and you're like, I don't like the sound of that. I'm out of here. But you've never actually opened up God's word to examine to see if indeed that was a word of truth or not? You see, I believe we are called Christians today or if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, we're called to examine to see, is there real truth here? Is there really something worth investing my life fully? If this morning you just run to the altar and say yes to Jesus because you got caught up in a little bit of emotionalism because the praise team was like, you know, cranking it that morning or something, or maybe the pastor just, man, he just really told that, that crazy story that got me so emotional at the end. Can I tell you that God will receive your emotion, He loves us being emotional with him, loves it. But what God wants us to do is make sure we examine the scripture to see what is it it he's calling me to. I don't think he's calling me to lean on stairs and cry all the time. I don't think that that's, I mean, that's a moment that God can really use and it can be wonderful. But God's called me to something else. What is it the scripture says he's called me to? A life devoted to him. Well, what does that actually look like? I read the scripture well, that means that, you know, I want to honor him in my, my marriage and my family. Well, what does that look like? I read the scripture. It means in my job, I want to be honest. And well, what does that look like? We examine it and we find it in God's word. And that is why these Bereans are called more excellent. They've found a way to have more excellent life because they examine the word to see if it's true. Can I tell you how many times in my life um, that I've made quick decisions that if I had examined God's word and I had said, hey, I should not make that decision, I would have saved myself so much grief and hardship in life if I had just examined the scriptures first. This morning, if God is like tugging on you, you're not a believer yet, and God's kind of drawing you, he's saying, surrender your life, surrender your life. And you're kind of like, I just, I'm not ready to do that. I don't want to do that. I, I just... I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. Can I convince you this morning, or can I at least say to you this morning, I think often people hold up from saying yes to Jesus because they've investigated everything that this world has to offer. And there's a lot of fun, good, entertaining stuff out there. But we've rarely done enough time investigating what God has to offer our life. What God says when he says, I'll give you life and give you life to the full, We've not investigated what that might look like in God's word. So we have this to look at out in the world, and we just have a closed book to look at over here. Well, this sounds a lot more appealing to me, too. But when we actually open God's word, 
and we say, now I want to study. I want to just take a look at this and see what is that excellent life these Christians always uh, just speak on and on about. And we investigate it. I want to tell you four quick things, and then we're going to be done. These will be fast, that we find here um, in this book. The first thing we found in the Bereans is they're willing to hear. They're just willing to hear. Can I commend you this morning that if you said yes to come here, or if you're a Christian and you came here and this morning, then you can kind of say, hey, this first one, you're doing it right now. You're willing to hear the Word of God. That's all we've done this morning is I've opened up, I've read you a passage, and then I've talked about the passage a little bit. So you've put yourself in a position to hear God's Word. I want to encourage you, just keep doing that throughout the week. And Christians... You need to do it too, to open up God's word and allow God's word to speak, putting yourself in a place where you're willing to hear from God's word. Here's the second thing we've talked the most about already. You examine what you've heard, that when you heard it this morning or when you've heard somebody say it, you examine it to know if it's true. Now, you may say, I don't really know the Bible. I, I don't really know where to even start. Well, you know how to Google pretty good, don't you? It's pretty easy to put in uh, Bible verses and then put in whatever you're, you're looking for. Bible verses, great marriage. Bible verse, more life than I can dream of. And see these verses that rise to the surface. And then you can start reading those verses and almost all of our Bibles, even your online Bibles like BibleGateway.com will have references to other scriptures. And you go, well, I read this. Oh, there's a scripture. I'll go read that. Just like when you go to Barnes & Noble and you buy a book, right? And have you ever seen what the bottom of your receipt says? There's about four choices. It says, what other readers of this book like as well? And they list a few other books for you to read. That's your concordance. That's what happens in God's Word. But examine it to see if it's true. The flip or the reverse of that also is examine it before you dismiss it. Before you say, I'm just not into that Christianity thing. I just, uh, it just sounds like, you know, load of something to me. Examine it before you dismiss it. The third thing, quickly, is uh, they guarded Paul's safety. We find a little bit later in the passage, it says, Many of the Jews believed, as did a, a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea. They went there as too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. But the brothers in Berea immediately sent Paul to the coast. So we find there that, that the Bereans already, because of what they received and researched, they wanted to protect Paul as well. They wanted to protect, really, the preaching of God's word uh, as well. Now you might say, what does that have to do with this sermon this morning? I believe we're very called Christians to protect God's word, to protect the name of Jesus as well. We protect it by how we live it out, but we also protect it by how we proclaim verbally his name as well. And so they guarded Paul's safety. And finally, they continued to grow. We find here, and this, you may think, oh, there's nothing of that verse, but this is a little bit unique here in the areas where he went and he was really persecuted. We find here, it says that Paul went to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So the journey of these three guys together was over because Timothy and Silas stayed there, presumably to raise up a church, to disciple people, to keep teaching people. They stayed right there at Berea, and the Bereans, guess what, what they would happen? They were committed to continue to grow in their faith. 
It wasn't like, man, I went to that church service that so-and-so invited me, some check it out, something, I don't know what it was. But it was really cool. The, the band played good, you know, the preacher did good. There was this baptism thing, they hoot and hollered uh, a bit, and it was a really cool service. But boom, that was it. And it's cut off. The brand said, no, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to investigate this scripture. We're going to continue to look at this and see what does it have to do for our life this morning. And so that's what we find there. I'm going to just ask you, and then um, uh, the praise team is going to lead us in, in just a time of reflection here. In fact, I'll invite them to, to go ahead and come up. I want to just ask you this morning, where would you be at on that spectrum if you were kind of honest with yourself? If you kind of looked at that spectrum of, of where we just walked, would you say to yourself this morning, I have so dismissed this Christianity thing before really a sentence or two would even get out the, uh, somebody's mouth. Why I'm even here this morning in a church, I don't really even know. Uh, somebody said free lunch or something, so I came to be here. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that would be you, what would it look like if you decided this morning that I would be willing to just open up my ears, my heart, to at least investigate, to see what God would have in here, what God would have to offer if I would just investigate it for a few minutes or I would just actually go ahead and take two or three questions in my head and I would actually ask those of my Christian friend that invited me to be here today. Maybe you do that right over that free lunch, huh? What would it look like if you decided today to say, I'll investigate that. At very least, I'll invest. I won't just dismiss it. I won't just say those timeshares, those, you know, those presentations are lame. I'll actually go and I'll just listen and check it out for a little while. Might be a pretty significant prize at the end of it for you if you'd investigate it, check it out. Maybe you've done that and you're a believer this morning. And what would it look like for you if you decided, I'm going to get in that word daily. I'm going to investigate daily. That I'm not just going to claim uh, 18 years ago I had like an emotional movement and I'm, uh, I say I'm a Christian, but man, I don't do anything with God's word. I don't do anything with really digging and asking of God, what would you have of my life from here on out? What, what would that look like if you decided today, I'm going to get regularly into God's word and investigate like the Bereans? What would it look like if you chose each of you the more excellent life to see what God would have for you? We have uh, what is really just three stairs, and we use them as our altar. And we're not very good at drumming up a lot of emotionalism to get you out of your seat and move forward. Um, This is not in our gift set. So I just want to be blunt about it. This morning, if God has so moved you, and you're answering that question, is what would it look like if you decided to at very least investigate what God would have to offer your life? What would it look like, Christians, if you would decide, I'm going to investigate daily what kind of person God, what kind of Christian God has called me to be? I just want to give you an opportunity to pray. Why an altar? Because sometimes getting out of our normal posture just does a little bit something different to us in our focus on God. And so I want to invite you to come and to pray. You certainly can pray at your seat as well if that's more comfortable for you. But I want to let you know it's open and available. And what I've asked the praise team is to to sing a song for us. And for you, those of you that are like long time in church or you were there when you were a kid and you're just returning, um, you'll recognize part of this song. The song is I've decided to follow Jesus. Um, it's been done in a contemporary way. That's how our praise team will do it. But you'll recognize the words. And my prayer is that 
you'll use this time to do a little prayer business with God and speak to him. So here's how I want you to do it. I want to invite you, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, and the praise team's going to lead us. If during this prayer time you want to come to the altar and pray, please do. You're welcome to express yourself. If you want to kneel where you're at, you're, you're free to do that. And then it's important, the priest will actually invite you to stand and, and come out of your prayer time and stand and sing and finish off that song with us. So, but right now in a spirit of prayer, let's sing together.